Good morning, everyone. God bless you. It's good to see you. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, it's good to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a privilege and an honor for Betsy and I to be with you this morning, having served for so many years nearby, being involved in uh, appointing uh, Kurt and Julie as pastors of this church and walking through your property changes and all the things we've done kind of from a distance. You've always been on your heart, so it's nice to now have the time to actually be with you today. And uh, it's my custom when sharing at a church to not just walk in with some kind of a specially shined up and shellac sermon that I can really blow people away with and preach every week that nobody knows the difference, you know, that kind of a thing. But to ask a pastor what's going on, how can I speak most uh, effectively and strategically into the life of your church at this particular time? And uh, just give me a text or give me a topic or whatever you want to do, and I'll go before the Lord and see what, see what happens. And so I had that conversation with Kurt, and Kurt, um, after thinking about it a little bit, he said, you know, I think maybe I'd just like for you to talk about the church. And so that's my favorite subject. Well, I think Jesus is my favorite subject, but I love to talk about the church, and I said, I can do that. And so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the church. And, uh, but I need to give you my paradigm about talking about the church before I get into this. Whenever I use the word church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a place. I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking... When I use this word, I discarded institutional definitions of the church a long time ago. The ecclesia is people. Can you say amen to that? The church is people. And I think the most seminal definition that I've heard of the church that just keeps me on track is the church is anyone, notice the emphasis on persons, the church is anyone who has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the church. It's no more than that. It's no less than that. So when I say we're going to talk about the church today, I must say first we're going to talk about me because I am the church. But I'm also, while I'm talking about me, I'm going to talk about you because you're the church. And the only way to respond to a message about the church is to respond personally, to respond appropriately. As I've said for years, each one of us must find our personal and our appropriate response to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. It's not, at first, a group project. It is an individual response. Churches grow. If you want to refer to the church as an institution, congregations grow one person at a time. It's not one sermon series at a time or one building project at a time or one iteration of the budget at a time. Churches, because they are essentially people, grow one person at a time. I don't care how big or how small that church is. It has to do with the transforming work of the Spirit of God in an individual's life. So you must always think about what is happening here in terms of the Lord adding to this congregation that is occurring in a dynamic 
that is individual and personal and one at a time. We run into a problem when we think of the church as a group. That we should think of it first as individuals. So that means that today as I share what's on my heart for a few moments, that I want you to receive this message as not a, um, a statement or a presentation about Lake Sam or about Four Square or something like that. It's a message to each one of us as the church. So that's my paradigm. The church is people washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can see my topic this morning is the church that Christ returns for. So we're talking about our readiness, our preparation for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Somebody said to me one time, if you really believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, and I think you really do believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, I'm going to make that assumption. We're not at a three-square church this morning. This is a four-square church, and one of the things we believe is that Jesus is the returning king. Amen? We don't talk about it perhaps as much as we should, but we believe that. We hold that blessed hope in our heart, and it, we're reminded of it particularly when a dear one of ours passes away. But someone has said that we should live every day of our life as if that was the day that the Lord was returning. Now, that's an interesting way to approach a day in a person's life, and I don't think that that disposition is perhaps as constant in the way that we manage our time, in the way that we live our lives. And so it's, it's a rather uh, disturbing statement to live my life as if that was the day that Jesus was returning. And just how would that affect the choices and the use of that particular 24-hour period in my life if I live like that? And so we're going to look at this, at this whole thing of the church that the Lord is returning for. There's a, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what's going to be the circumstances that exist in the world when Jesus comes back. People like to debate this. People like to discuss this. I've never been a, one that really liked to spend a lot of time speculating on this. Uh, there's really not as much information in the Bible about the circumstances of the return of Jesus than people like to make there are. And so lots of congregations are sliced and diced by the eschatology of the preacher, just exactly what he or she thinks is going to be the situation that leads to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. To me, it seems like a big waste of time because I read my Bible and it says that no man knows <laughs> the day or the hour when the Lord's going to return, that Jesus doesn't even know when he's going to return, he said. The Father's going to make that clear to him. And uh, so I, I think it's kind of like a big to-do about something that's, that's, that's interesting, but it really isn't going to change the world if we spend our time thinking about things like that. So uh, having said that, I hope I have this thing on correctly, and we'll go to my next slide. How can I go backwards? There, okay. I don't know what I'm doing here. Let's see if I can. <laughs> okay, here's my opening proposition. Can I stand over here a little bit out of the way so you can see all this hard work I did? We have spent the last 2,000 years complicating Christianity. Say, what are you talking about? We have draped this sucker with jewels. 
We've gilded it in gold. We've paneled it. I mean, we've done everything that we needed to do to gussy this thing up that we call the church in order to try to get people to come to it. And the, the end result after 2,000 years of adding and improving on the message and the lifestyle of Jesus Christ is that we have managed. I can talk this way because I'm talking about myself now. We have managed to create a situation called the church in the world today that most people in our culture don't know why in the world we would want to be here this morning. They can't figure out why it's so important for us to get together in rooms like this and do whatever it is that we do. So somehow we've made it more difficult for people to comprehend and understand than it ever was because we put so much of it into a box where people can't really experience day-to-day, person-to-person, the transforming reality of the presence of God. And so people spend their days, millions of people today, praise God, go to church. In fact, that's what we might have even said last night or this morning, I think, we'll go to church. And that's a wonderful sentiment, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I've always looked forward to seeing people at church services, particularly when I was preaching. But people who go to church rather than understand that they are the church have a very scary thing happen to them every Sunday around noon. And that is that they leave the church. So people who go to church leave the church. And we create this crazy dichotomy where we have what I call church dynamics and then we have our real lives. You know, we have this certain way that we act and look and talk and do when we're in places like this, and there's nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. The only thing that's wrong with it is that somehow we leave that here for the most part and become another person. It used to be that we even dressed different at the two places. Well, we've gotten over that, praise God, you know, you know. And a lot of people think that's in the day when we dressed up for church, it was much better, you know. I, I, you know I'm not going to get into that argument with anybody, but the point of the matter is you can't leave church in a box. Would you say amen to that? Right. Now, you're saying, hey, I don't do that. I, I, listen, if you don't need to hear what I have to say, just be glad somebody else is hearing it. But don't get defensive about anything I say. I I just want to lay some principles on you. But we've spent the last 2,000 years complicating Christianity to the point that it's very difficult for people who are not a part of it to understand why it's so important to us. So we have to dumb it down somehow. We have to decomplicate it somehow. We have to wear it more effectively, this blood-washed condition of ours so that it makes a tangible difference and a compelling argument for people to be a part of what we call the church. Does that make sense? Okay, well, let's look at this next slide. So I suppose if you could paint a picture of maybe what the church looks like today, this picture might be appropriate. It's kind of beat up. It's kind of battered. It needs a paint job, you know, but... I'm not just talking about buildings here. I'm talking about you and me and us. 
And so, as I've already said, the church is not a building, but we need to understand that the Lord Jesus is very, very committed to the concept of church. He said, I'm going to build my church. Now, that's a great scripture, by the way, for a building project. But how about a great statement for tomorrow in your life and my life? I want to build the church. I want to make you so strong that, that hell can't handle the fact that you're alive. Amen. <laughs> Hear that? But I think somewhere down the line, I don't know, a few hundred years ago, we started building churches to look like, church buildings to look like forts, to look like castles. Have you ever seen some of these old relics that were built by people that got this scripture inside out? We're going to build a fort that nobody can get into. So, many today speak of the end of the world and argue and discuss the time and circumstances of the return of Christ. I already said that. And this verse of scripture, would you open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5? I do not believe that when we get into these discussions about the return of Jesus, that we just should consider what's going on in Israel. I think that's a part of of understanding it. I don't think it just has to do with ecology or creation or I don't think it just has to do with social morality. I don't think it only can be interpreted by this various things that we uh, like to talk about when we are speculating on the return of Jesus. But I think that one of the at least equal factors that needs to be considered about when the Lord is going to come back has to do with the condition of the church. It has to do with your condition and my condition. It has to do with our condition. And I find this in this familiar passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5, but we usually take, as we should, in a context of understanding the nature of marriage and the relationship between a husband and a wife. But, but let's... Let's look at this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself, underlined for emphasis. That sounds like the reconnecting of the person of Jesus Christ with his bride with his church. I see this as a prophetic statement. If you want to know something about the conditions that are going to be existing in the world when the Lord receives his church to himself, this passage of scripture is re very relevant. And some of you are familiar with this verse that he, that he will present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You say, wow, if that's the condition of the church at the time of the return of Jesus, I think we better put it off for a while. I don't know if I need to live tomorrow like this the day Jesus is going to come back because it doesn't sound like what's going on right now. Well, we could look at it that way, but let's look at it a little deeper and see just what this metaphor, this parable, 
is trying to say about the condition of the church. This church is talking, this scripture is talking about a young church without spot, without wrinkle, without stain, without blemish. I happen to be, and I'm proud of it by the way, 67 years of age, but baby, I've got some wrinkles. <laughs> and I've got some spots. In fact, I, uh, I can't, we recently spent some time down in Mexico and I've got so many spots on my arms now that I, I can't get a, a regular tan. I kind of look like a leopard when the whole thing is over <laughs> with. You know, there's something about these bodies of ours that fall apart. And some of you know what an age spot is. Well, this is exactly what this passage of Scripture is referring to. It's referring to an elderly person who's just worn out who's aged and is showing their wear. Kind of like that building I showed you in that picture a few minutes ago, except it translates over into our own personal situations. Well, it says the Lord isn't going to come back for something like that. He's not coming back for an old hag. <laughs> He's not coming back for some worn out. He's coming back for something that's radiant. And that word radiant in the Greek, believe me, it has to do with someone who's not just beaming or smiling, but it's somebody who has a youthful glow about them. So this is referring directly to what I would call a young church. And how can we translate that over to all of us today? I think it's talking about the early church, the church before it was complicated, the church before it was tired out, worn out, turned into something that was covered with more makeup than just its integral beauty. And I think the only place that we can go if we want to figure out what that church looks like is to the book of Acts. Because the church in the book of Acts is the blueprint for the church of the 21st century. Except there's been 20 centuries of aging that's gone on. And so I want to take you back to a short passage of scripture in the book of Acts if you want to turn over there that I think gives us a picture of the kind of church that Jesus is returning for. The kind of a person, the kind of a dynamic, the kind of a family, the kind of a congregation that Jesus desires to see present on this planet at its most strategic moment, which is the time that prepares the world for the end of time, for Pete's sake. And that I believe that you and I have the privilege of living in that generation of time. So let's take a look at ourselves and see what this scripture might have to say. So we are living right now in what has been referred to by many as an age of transparency. Everything's open, you know, the social media, the internet, all the different things that we have today leaves nothing to be hidden. I mean, you can go into the grocery store uh, you know, this afternoon with an app on your, on your phone and uh, you can scan a barcode and know where whatever it is you're about to buy was grown, where it was packed, and whether the people were treated right that did it. I mean, everything is, is open today. And we could just give example after example. But, you know, we live in an age of transparency. We live in a time of accountability for our behaviors and our actions individually and corporately that has never existed before. And ladies and gentlemen, this applies to the church as well. The church is under scrutiny. 
I mean, you could go on the internet when you get home today and put Lake Sam in there, and you will find a website where people are invited to give their comments about what they think about this group of people. Now, I don't know if people are doing it or not, but it's there. Everything is open. We live in, a, in an age of transparency, and we live in an age of innovation. And the, the innovation is so rapid, it's so accelerated, that we can hardly keep up with it. And again, this trend applies to us. So if the world is living in an age of transparency and innovation, then it stands to reason that we as individuals, the church, and we as a group, a congregation, need to also get ourselves aware of the fact that that's the way we need to be living our lives as well. Transparent, innovative, open, relevant to the needs that are around us. The church is being scrutinized like never before. God's people are challenged to make their message what I refer to, I put it in quotes, relevantly innovative. Now, this can be taken in some strange ways today. People that are trying to be culturally relevant or trying to be technically innovative and calling it the church can, can lose the point of the, of the Holy Spirit transformation that God wants to allow to take place in people's lives. So it's not about getting hip. It's not about getting fast. It's not about getting modern. It's, it's about allowing the living God to have access to your deepest transparent dispositions and to do whatever innovative new thing he would ever want to do in you. Lord, whatever it is you're doing in the earth today, I want to be a part of it. Can you say amen to that? Whatever, Lord, is your heart and your desire for the deepest recesses of my life, I'm open to that. And not think that it's all something that's happening down the street on 8th Avenue. It's something that's going on right in here. So I submit to you that cultural relevance and ministry innovation needs to go back to the Bible and the effect that the Bible has on us. And I don't know any place for us to go when we're talking about the church, than to go to the book of Acts. So look at this. In Acts chapter 2, you know, Acts chapter 2 is a passage of scripture that's just amazing. I mean, it's the day of Pentecost. It's the birth of the church. And, you know, we Pentecostal charismatics, we love this chapter of the Bible. I mean, we, we can just go hallelujah forever reading all the stuff that's going on here and talk in tongues for a while and just have a blast. And after we, we, we do all that, we don't finish reading the whole chapter. Because life went on after the excitement of the day of Pentecost. And if you pick up this passage of scripture right at the very end of the chapter, it's rather interesting when one's talking about personal transparency, when one is talking about personal innovation and change, when one is talking about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in the individual. Look at this here. Th this is the, the earliest expression of Christianity before anybody improved on it. <laughs> this is before full gospel businessmen. 
you know? This is before Foursquare. This was just what happened. This was just plain old Holy Spirit 101 stuff. This was just things that the Holy Spirit began to do in people's lives because they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit and were actually still excited about it. It was spontaneous. It was a kind of a spontaneous eruption of grace. Kind of like all of the energy that a young man or a young woman has when they're madly in love and excited about life and don't have any spots or wrinkles. Can still wear a bikini. I don't know where that came from. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You say, what are wonders and signs? There are signs and wonders. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it's the miracle power of God at work in people's lives. Well, I thought it was like in a marriage where, you know, uh, <laughs> the guy makes signs and the wife wonders what he's trying to, you know. Everyone was filled with awe. All the believers were together. Boy, I could just put a period right there and say, let's spend the next year on that one. All the believers were together. And that has to do with their unity. But hey, let's, let's keep individ individualizing this today at the church's people. How about if I could just get it together and become a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem? The grace of God revealed in my life is the purpose of getting me well enough that I'm not spending all my time worrying about myself, but actually helping somebody else. Amen. Whoa, just a modicum of health and wholeness makes it possible for us to not be consumed upon our own needs. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Commonality. Interesting concept. We don't even <laughs> we don't even understand that at all. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day. These people were radical. They understood that you don't go to church, you are the church. So this wasn't limited to a time or to a space. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they had a home dynamic and they had a, they had a temple dynamic. This is a temple dynamic. This is a good thing. We need pastoral teaching. We, we need corporate worship. These are very important elements in our spiritual growth. Don't get me wrong. But... What goes on in our house shouldn't be any different than what goes on in here. We can't be different people at home. Can you say amen to that? Because our kids look at that and say, that's a bunch of hypocrisy. I don't want anything to do with that. You say, well, we don't have a band at home. We can't worship at home. 
You don't need a band. You know, the next time you arrange some flowers for your dining room table could be an act of worship. The Bible says everything we do should be to the glory of God. We don't need an offering basket to give. None of these things should be just thought of as institutional dynamics. And look at this, verse 47, they were worshipers. We thought we discovered worship about 25 years ago. These people were worshiping 2,000 years ago, and they didn't even have a keyboard. <laughs> Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That means they had a good reputation. That means that they weren't a bunch of phonies. It means that they weren't living a double standard. You know, there's a whole lot of people in Jerusalem, which is where this was all going on, that would have absolutely nothing to do with this Christian sect. And they were, scared, they were scared to death to get involved in it because of the persecution these people were experiencing for the way they stood. But they still respected them. I think that a lot of Christians today think that if anybody found out what I really believe, they wouldn't respect me. I think if anybody really knew that the conversation would be over, what a lie. People are hungry and searching for the relationship that you have with God. They may not be looking for your church building. They may not be looking for your membership. But they are looking for your Jesus. And many of them don't even know that's what they're looking for. Right. They have nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to hide They enjoyed the favor of all the people. And then look at this last phrase. I've always found this fascinating. And the Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. Notice who built the church. And the Lord added to the church. I thought that was my job. I thought that's what you paid me to do. Huh. The Lord adds to his church daily those who are going to be saved as we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. That doesn't mean I'm suggesting we don't share our faith. But I'm going to tell you the magnet of your faith is not just a sermon or a testimony. The magnet of your faith is your life in Christ. Just the transformation that's taken place in your life. People look at the fact that you just whistled through a storm and when they're going through a storm they look you up in your cubicle and say what's up with you I need to know more about whatever it is you're smoking so here are these dynamics in that little passage of scripture that I read to you this is the menu this is the curriculum for the church that Jesus returns for, for the family that Jesus returns for, for the man that Jesus returns for, for the woman that Jesus returns for, for the congregation that Jesus returns for. This is, this, this is our curriculum, ladies and gentlemen. You want to accelerate the return of Jesus Christ? I've heard people talk about that. What can we do to accelerate the return of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you one of the primary ways that you could accelerate the return of Jesus Christ would be to commit to yourself, 
commit yourself individually or corporately to these kinds of dynamics. You say, why would that be important just to get Jesus to come back? No. Because when these things are occurring, you are, if I might use an old expression, a soul-saving machine. And there would be something inherently wrong with any believer wanting Jesus to come back and at the same time, same time not giving a rip about all the people that aren't going to be ready. The word, I, I could do a message on each of these, Kurt, if you ever want to take a long vacation, I will do a sermon on each of those. Okay? The word, communion, home dynamics, commonality, fellowship, worship, temple dynamics, signs and wonders, and prayer. All I can do is just introduce you to those concepts today. There's your work. And here's the thing to take away from it. If we'll do our part, he'll do his part. He'll save the world. He loves people too much not to do it, but you see, he loves the world through people like you and me. That's the way it happens. His church is his body. And I'm reminded of the role of Jesus in doing this work in these scriptures. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved in verse 27. And then I love this scripture in Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, or your confession of faith, Peter, I will build my church. It starts in me and in you. It moves into our marriages and our families. It begins to penetrate our relationships, whether they are considered secular or holy, whatever in the world you have going on. And Jesus does his work as the church does his. Yes, I believe that Jesus is coming back for a church like the church he left here in the first place. And I invite you into the pursuit of that kind of Christian dynamism. Let's bow our heads. I just want to ask if there's anyone worshiping here today or attending here today that would like me to pray for you with regards to the fundamental fact that you are not right with God this morning. You are hungry for a relationship with God. You've heard me talk about very, very openly and very transparently about the condition of the church, but I guess as you would analyze your life, you would have to say, I I'm not the church. Because the church is anyone who has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I need to experience the forgiveness of my sins. I'm not at peace with God. And just today, while I'm sitting here, I would like to open my heart to a relationship with God by placing my personal faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. If that re resonates with you right where you're seated and you'd like to be remembered in prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand right now? 
because I want to pray for you right where you're seated. I'll see you over here. See you down here. Just raise your hand and then put it back down. Yes, ma'am, I see you here. You know, you never know when, when you're having a time like this who just understands in their heart that they need to get things straightened out with God. When I ask the question of a group of people that I don't really know at all and say, are you right with God? Do you need to experience the forgiveness of your sins? I figure that's a very easy question for a person to answer regardless of their religious background. You either are right with God or you are not right with God and you know the difference. It would be like me saying, do you have a driver's license? You either do or you don't and you know. And I've had a few people say, I'd like prayer. And there might be someone else. Is there anyone else who would just say, would you pray for me? Jim, I need to get right with God. Is there anyone else? I just wonder. Yes, I see you there. Okay. Well, we're going to pray. And then I think the pastor is going to lead us in communion. And so I'm going to ask all of you to pray with me. Everybody in this room that knows Jesus, you help these people. This would be your way of holding their hand, leading them to Christ, just praying out loud with them. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And I might add for the purposes of this sermon today that when you make that confession, you become the church of Jesus Christ the place where he dwells. And he wants to empower you and strengthen you every day of the rest of your life until he comes back for you. So we're going to pray now. And those of you who raised your hand, just, just trust me with this prayer. And those of you who already know the Lord, would you pray out loud with them just to help them and encourage them as they make this statement of faith. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you died for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invite you to come into my life, to live with me, to strengthen me. I want to be your church the place where you dwell in this world. So I open to you today by faith. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.